Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome to the Washed Up Emo Podcast. I'm Tom Mullen from WashedUpEmo.com. Today, we welcome Triple Crown Records owner Fred Feldman. We chat about his start in the music industry, the beginnings of the label in the hardcore world, brand new, how the label survived all these years, and their recent signing and what's in store for the future. I really enjoyed chatting with Fred, except when it deviated to ska. That was horrible. Love you, Fred. This is episode 90 with Triple Crown Records owner Fred Feldman. Really? But we're not. We have emo records, but we're not. Just like we're a Warp Tour label, but we haven't had a band on the Warp Tour. You're not a Warp Tour years, label, but we are considered a Warp Tour label. Goes back to our discussion before we started. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fred Feldman, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Washed up emo. You're not washed up. <laughs> Depends who you ask. <laughs> uh, did you grow up on Long Island? Or no? Uh, my formative years, yeah. I mean, born in Brooklyn. Ah, I, I didn't know that. Suburban migration. So um, it was the at a certain age, move out and get a house. Uh, well, no, my <laughs> yeah, exactly. The uh, you know, the parents they were like, well, it's time to go to the suburbs. Got to get a better school. Yeah. Did you? What did you? Did you enjoy going? Uh, li- living in the city at the time, or it was real Brooklyn. I mean, it was Brooklyn, not the Brooklyn of today. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I didn't know any better. I just went, did what I was told. And what year did you move out? Long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. <laughs> Were you a teenager? No, no, no. I was still. I think I was uh, eight or nine. I was little. I was little. And then fast forwarding a little bit, no mm-hmm. years, no years used. Um, do you remember the first time that music connected with you? Um, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, to me, it was all about arena rock. You know, it was like it was Van Halen, you know, hearing that record, my mind was blown. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, from there, it was just a, a journey into heavy metal and, you know, British heavy metal and just 
um, you know, all those big arena rock acts, you know, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, uh, and that was kind of my entree, you know, into the big, it was, it was a different, it was definitely different because everything was, uh, mass media and that's how you consume things, mm-hmm. you know, it was waiting for records to be released, getting excited for them to be released and just counting down the days, waiting um, for them in the mail. <laughs> I, you, there was a record store, just yeah. literally I could get on my bike, uh, and go and buy records and got friendly with the record store people. And from there, they turned me on to other music and all this stuff that was going on in England at the time. And, you know, that's where I found Motorhead. And, um, you know, uh, so it was just uh, totally different. And, and, you know, started getting, finding out about zines and stuff. And that's what we were waiting for in the, in the mail. You mm-hmm. know, you'd write to someone, you'd send them a couple dollars, you'd get the zine back. Do you remember which ones you were reading back then? <laughs> yeah, this will, uh, you'll enjoy this. Kick-Ass Monthly. <laughs> um, Great name. Uh, there was Brian Slagle, who owns Metal Blade, had a zine also. I can't remember the name of that. And then in my high school, there was... Uh, there was damaged goods, which is where kind of my entree into kind of punk rock, New York hardcore stuff. And uh, I started, I became friendly with the guy that ran that, started taking pictures. So mm. it was, I think Motorhead was the gateway drug into this other music of like, oh, this arena stuff is cool, but like, what's this? And then it was like, oh, I, I got from Motorhead, the Bad Brains, you know, Agnostic Front. And I was like, my mind was totally blown. And then it was, it was, Oh, I don't need to be told by like Hit Parader and Circus what music I like. There is these zines. There is all this other stuff mm-hmm. out there. WMYU, we can get the signal out on Long Island. You know, Hellhole. Um, I forgot. I think it was, and, and Jack Rabbit was on the air at the time. And just hearing all this music and then staying up, you know, once a week to tape it and just uh, really discovering and, you know, realizing that these bands were not these. Uh, untouchable it, they weren't untouchable they weren't larger than life figures they were like they were like they were like right there you know and it's and then as i started taking pictures and becoming friends with some of these bands it's like oh you're just like me um and so, so it was it you was were coming eye-opening. into the city for shows and yeah yeah you know going to city uh you know because there was not a scene out in long island there wasn't stuff you, you could go to nassau coliseum you know yeah. that was really it but you can come into the city go to cb's the biltmore hotel there was all this other stuff going on and uh it was definitely eye-opening and really kind of in uh it was just wild. And, you know, my record store was the constant there. Slip Discs and, uh, oh, what was it? Metro Records. In, Where was uh, that? Uh, both of them were in Queens and Little Neck. Um, and so I'd drive my bike, ride my bike over there. Um, and, you know, just there was guys that were like, you need to listen to this. You should try this. So I'd have to save my money. Yeah. And then, you know, and just. It was it, a leap of faith. It was a leap of faith. It was, uh, you know, really having faith in music writing and, uh, you know, whether it was reading like Sounds or Enemy or Kerrang or, you know, all the zines and just saying like, that sounds really interesting. I, I got to try that. Um, and, you know, that's what kind of got that passion for the music. I remember reading Pit. Do you remember the, the Pit? Metal- oh, my God. Yes, I do. That's right. Gitter also Because has- Metal Maniacs was like, it got too... It got too like commercial for me, and I needed to like get even deeper in the metal world. And like Pit was where 
That's right. It was so sh- shittily done. <laughs> That's a word. I totally <laughs> like, forgot just, about like, that. Slapped together. <laughs> yeah, and it was, um, you know, it was definitely, you know, a, a bunch of people were transitioning from being zine guys to kind of getting into the business side of things. When it was color, when you had like a color issue it was like minds blown you know if it yes. had been like a photocopied and then they <laughs> stepped up with the color or cover if, yeah or if it was a, uh, a center staple that was oh, kind of yeah. mind-blowing as opposed to the, the upper <laughs> left hand side staple it was like wow you this is really professional this is a step away from a magazine or it was bound yeah yeah That's I, what... yeah i just found a bunch of those too that i had taken pictures for and i was like wow so you had the zines still yeah, you know, I still was a fan. I mean, I still remember when I got, uh, you know, the one zine back and I had taken a picture because I, and I basically had sent the pictures, literally got them developed, sent yeah. them. And then I saw, you know, four months later, you'd get a copy. You're like, oh my God. But that separation of feedback, mm-hmm. which I, it's something that will never happen again. But that moment of I'm putting this money in the mail and something's going to come back or I'm sending this photo and there was that patience that it's going to come like, I don't know. Now we just be sitting, refreshing our email. Well, yeah. Now it's got to be instant. Otherwise, you've just moved on. So yeah. it was definitely, you know, and, and it's something that I, I try and keep as I've been doing this a long time of that excitement. It's, you know, of just, you know, it, anticipation is gone. And I think that people don't realize how great that was. Um, you know, I mean, I remember walking up to the mail when you didn't even get a notification of when something was going to arrive. You know, right. it was the... You know, you're driving home with your parents and they pop open the mailbox and it's not there. And you're like, ah, it's like another day, (laughs) another day. You got to wait. What about punk and hardcore? Obviously, I get it with the Motorhead. I had the same track. It went from kind of metal to hardcore, kind of kept Mm -hmm. there was similarities. What about it connected to you so much? You know, it certainly wasn't the lyrics, but who knows what Motorhead was singing about other than getting fucked up. Um, But I just think something about the music was just like, wow, I hadn't heard anything that intense. And it was unbelievably simple that it was, uh, it just was like, just mind blowing. Like, wow. And I remember I got a chance to see Motorhead, uh, the original lineup, and it was, I've never, it was so loud, it was painful. Like, we literally had to go up from the first floor to the second floor of the venue because it was like, I don't know if I could make yeah. it. Um, and it just, you know, there was this, just the music stirred up some emotion of like, wow, that's so intense. I want to find other things like that. And did, you know, the zines and the being going to the shows, taking photos, when did the, I want to work in this, I want to do this for a living? Um, you know, it definitely was, I, I just, I, I'm lucky that I can still be able to do it. Um, I want to say that, but I think that, you know, I played music not very well, played (laughs) in some bands. It was just, and I realized that was not for me. Um, and as I went through college, I just kind of realized, oh, I think that there's an opportunity to make a career of this. Um, so it's just something that I got lucky. I wanted to pursue. Um, you know, I don't think there was a conscious decision at some point that I'd said, oh, that's what I have to do. I just realized that, um, Maybe I can do this. Mm-hmm. So. And then ninety-seven, mm-hmm. right? Profile. You would start. No, no. When did you? When did you start a profile? I was at the profile in the late eighties. Late eighties. So again, it was funny. You mentioned in an interview, which I thought was fascinating. It, it's you kind of said it felt like an indie because the walls were thin. You could kind of hear everything, and you were doing everything. When I started at TVT, it was the same way. It was oh, yeah. like I could see every department 
in front of me and I could go bug the product manager, go bug the A&R guy, and I wasn't stuck on some floor at the radio department. Exactly. You know, it wasn't a conscious decision that I'm going to go to this independent label. It was a necessity thing. It was literally I could not get a job. Oh, wow. No, there was no, no one, you know... I had not been through the, in college I had booked concerts for the concert board and, you know, got a taste for that and did the radio station, the typical stuff, but I wasn't in the intern program. I didn't do any of that stuff. So I couldn't get a job, um, and picked a couple of companies and just went and said, I'll work for free. And they said, great, go to the mailroom. And uh, I think profile was on my hit list because at the time they had had Rock Hotel, which Mm -hmm. was the premier, like. New York hardcore label, um, oddly enough, in a hip hop, it was owned by the guys who own, you know, one of the biggest indie hip hop labels in New York. So, um, I had a passion for that stuff. Always liked rap music, but, uh, you know, learned, uh, just the ropes. And when you're in the mailroom, if you take advantage of it, you can ask questions. You kind of know how the company works and you're going to see everybody when you're dropping exactly. off stuff. Exactly. And, uh, you know, just asked questions, learned, and just took every opportunity. Um, so, you know, I was there for a long time. That's great. What was the, you know, that first promotion or that first time you got recognized to move up? What were, what was that? What was that like? Or, um, it was great. You know, I put in a lot of time in the mailroom. I think I was in there for over a year. You know, and kept trying to like, when are you getting out? It was almost like a prison sentence in a sense of like, mm-hmm. are you going to give me a real job? When am I going to get to do something that's not this? Menial. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was great. It's finally a chance to not pack and ship and give people their mail and, you know, uh, run the errands and yeah, you know, the shit you do, paying your dues. Yeah. Um, so it was just great. It was great. And it was, you know, I think the good thing at an indie label, whether it's then or now is... If you see a need, you can fill it and you can just, um, and you got to ask questions and that's just what I did. And, you know, there was a lot of, uh, and you know, over the years of being there, I did everything from radio promotion, retail sales, marketing, you know, everything in there. Mm -hmm. And to me it was like, yes, it was hip hop and it was at the time when hip hop was just exploding, but it still is still the music business and you just learned a lot, you know, and whether that was dealing with MTV or going to Z100, it was, uh, you know, there still is a, it, it, there's a skill set in, in promotion and marketing and, you know, you can apply that, you know, even to today. Mm-hmm. And f- moving forward, like 97, that's when you had said, I, I, I believe the label stopped, correct? Or you yeah, had, they you were getting sold were to sold. Uh, I think Arista at the time. So I was I was in the pro- basically when the two owners had split up. This was probably four or five years prior. Um, I was going to leave. The owner that bought it because there was two partners there said, "Stay. I need you to run the place, and you can start a label." And I said, "Huh." you know, a rock label. So that's when we did another planet records, mm-hmm. which we started where we had the rock hotel catalog. We reissued that. We signed some interesting stuff. I think we signed, that's when we signed uh five seconds expired. Or, oh uh, yeah. What were they slush? Originally? That was slush before. Yeah. Fred is bringing up some deep <laughs> Vermont hardcore legends. Slush. Wow. Five seconds expired. Yeah. Oh yeah, they did. Yeah. Wait, what they had to change it from slush, right? Yeah. 
to well, five seconds expired. Was it because it was because of the icy freeze or what? I don't remember. <laughs> um, I mean, we did a record with American Standard. We did, uh, you know, we went and did a new Murphy's Law record, some great ska records. And I, I definitely, I got to learn a lot there. The risk wasn't on my money. Mm-hmm. So uh, I definitely made some mistakes, you know, and uh, it was, you know, I'm, I'm very appreciative of the owner because, I, you know, he just, the profile was really just generating a lot of, that was a big thing. I mean, we were having top 10 records. Yeah. Real success. Even after the two guys split, we had some, there were some serious hits at that time. Um, so I, I, my little kind of passion thing over there and, uh, you know, when they were being sold, they were basically being sold. I didn't, it was time for me to move on. I knew that I was going to stay on for the transition, but that's when I said, you know what? I'm going to, I've done this for someone else for all these years. I'm going to start my own thing and ignorance is bliss. And, uh, you know, that's what led to us. We had, we were trying to sign 25 to life at the time. Uh, and I said to Rick, uh, I'm going to start something new. Would you do it with me? And he's like, sure. You know, I don't, you know, it was, uh, so we put that out and, uh, there was two records that were done for another planet. I licensed those titles. So that was the first record, right? The 25 to life, 25 to life and stubborn all-star second record. Um, we made it, we got a distro deal, little smoke and mirrors. We're like, yeah, we're great. We're, this is going to be fantastic. And 25 to life went on to do extremely well. Oh yeah. It was, uh, that EP was like great. And I'm like, this is fantastic. I'm like, oh my God. And then reality <laughs> comes crashing and you start the other records and it's like, oh, okay. Uh, huh. But you know, it's, I knew each that would one take time. sort of, you learn something else from each of those releases, good and bad. Exactly. As you go. Exactly. You learned how to, you know, and I I had the experience. I think if anything else, I had had years of experience in the music business that allowed me to, you know, kind of navigate the waters and definitely appear to be bigger than we were. Um, And, uh, you know, it just took time. And I knew that. And, you know, my wife was very patient with me. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I uh, just couldn't be more appreciative of, you know, her support during that time. And, uh, you know, and bands taking a, a risk because we were new. There was no, you know, we weren't coming in. There was a lot of crazy finance labels at the time that would come in, get all the, you know, they would suck up all the air out of the, you know, the distributor, our distribution partners. And we were just kind of like, we were there and we were doing solid, you know, business. I mean, the, some of the rest of the rosters I was laughing when I was trying to remember, um, and the site itself, I mean, missing out, uh, there's Come and Correct's not up. No, Death that was threat, classic. E-Town Concrete, Scarhead, Mushmouth, yeah. When Fear and Weapons Meet. Well, yes. So oh, I'm just Fear saying. Fear and Weapons Meet, I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, <laughs> that was good. That was an EP. That was a one-off EP. All right. That's right. But, but the town concrete was great. I mean, and and you, we took those risks because I saw that I knew how big that band was. And I'm like. No one else was paying attention even. Yeah, and I remember, you know, with Caroline, I'm like, watch what will happen here. And we did an in-store at Vintage Vinyl, and it was like the lines were out the door. And I'm like, and no, it was like, you're a little label. You're just getting up and running. No one believes you. And that was like, that's when I think they turned around and been like, oh, something's happening with this label. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, you know, and then ultimately, you know, we tried, we did a lot of hardcore and ska records. That's how we started. Yeah. and, uh, you know, then we try to diversify. Well, that's the whole part that at EVR, the troubles that had where, you know, we were thought of as the Bane uh, label. And then it was 
you know, Circa, Survive, or mm-hmm. it was, um, you know, whatever the band was, it couldn't, it couldn't jump out of that little world. And if we released something that was different, it threw people for a loop. Sometimes they didn't even open the CD because they just thought it was a hardcore band. Yes. Uh, I mean, I still think we have that today. You know, it's like we have a long, we've been in business 17, almost 18 years. <laughs> and like I said before, when we started talking, it's like we're still viewed as a warp Tour label and we don't have warp Tour bands. Yeah. Um, I think that it's a fairly eclectic roster. It has been. Um, but people want to categorize stuff. And over the years, it's like, you know, we've taken shots on things that are you know, if they were on a cooler, hipper label, might have been perceived differently. And oh, yeah. A better shot. I um, feel about that sometimes where the, like we had a band, Snake the Cross the Crown mm-hmm. on EVR, that if that was on Sub Pop, they would be touring with Wilco. They would be in that yeah. world. And it's just, for some reason, the gatekeepers in whatever place it was, radio, press, it just instantly... Well, uh, recommend it if you like, and let's pick some uh, little folkier punk bands. Like, it wasn't, it couldn't sit on its own. Yeah, that's what I felt about the Gay Blades, who I loved. Yes, that's why I wanted to bring that up, because that one was so different from everything else. And that song, Oh Shot, was just so anthemic, and I was like, you know what, I just gotta do it. But I I told the band when we sat down, and I'm like, this is gonna be hard, because you guys don't fit in with what we do. We're not gonna get the support. Uh, that we need but they were like we don't care we'll, we'll just do it i mean the name didn't help at the time but i do believe that that's a record that if it came out on some other cooler label if that was on sub pop or maybe merge mm-hmm. it might have been viewed differently you know and but those you know what ultimately this is the you know the uh, the blessing and the curse of owning your own business you can do what you want uh and they make me happy and i'm proud of the that record and those other records but you know, have did the band get a 100% fair shot? I know we tried everything we could. And, mm-hmm. and you know what? Those records did fairly, they did okay. Uh, and the Gay Blades could do real business, at least in the tri-state area. But, um, you know, again, I just think that it's the same thing where I've seen other, you know, whether it's a major take a shot on a scene band that that's in our world and they just can't get anywhere. Um, you know, it's, Armor it's, for Sleep was like, you know, that we had a, you know, crazy success mm-hmm. went to Warner and, you know, yeah. crickets. Yeah. And I've seen that where it's like, you know, you'll sign to a major, either that will happen where it's just crickets or you're just kind of caught in this never ending loop where you just can't even get the record out. You know, I watched that with some like hit the lights, which oh, pop yeah, punk, you're right. they signed to universal the record never even came out. Um, got that, you know, because they just can't figure out what to do. So or the one A and R guy leaves exactly and that or, happens you know or you're just not writing a song they deem worthy of getting on the radio so it's um it's definitely I can do what I you know what I like and you know my taste obviously kind of determines what we do here um, so I'm willing to always take shots I just want to kind of know the hurdles we're putting in front of the band yeah you know and one band I think too early on that you guys were connected to Hot Rod Circuit. Yeah, best. who again, you know, the amazing songs, mm-hmm. you know, went on and did other things with other labels, but just that one I think was another sp- uh tent pole for you guys and lifted. Well, especially def- for me under- mm-hmm. looking at the label like, "Oh, wow, hot oh, that's cool." Like it it propped it up more, I thought. Well, we definitely at that time 
when we signed them, we were doing, we were having real success with a lot of the hardcore records. You know, Mushmouth was beating up everybody in the East Coast. Um, literally. <laughs> literally. Uh, you know, <laughs> Rick to Life was kind of our guy. Yeah. Um, and I was nervous. I'm like, how is this going to be perceived? So actually, if you look at the early ones, you'll see that there's another logo on there, Montalban Hotel which is Andrew Ellis who books, who booked them. And I, you know, his little label, he label didn't mean anything, but I thought if we have something else on there, he had released a seven inch before. Um, I said, if that's on there, he's got a vested interest to go work hard for them. And at least we could say, this is that. Mm -hmm. Um, so we did it. I mean, we did all the work. Andrew had a piece of that, but, um, you know, there was a thought process there and, you know, listen, without hot rod, we don't get to brand new. So, well, that's what my next one. I mean, again, that, that band but has I, talked ad, ad nauseum. I mean, you're right. It's these things that mm-hmm. you took a shot and yep. then that led to something great. But I also remember seeing Hot Rod Circuit playing to like four or five people. And I don't, you remember the EP that they put out themselves? There was a four song, an Irish car bomb was on it. I don't think I remember that. And I was just, that was a song that you just go, oh my God. It's just, you can hear everybody screaming yeah. along and singing that. And I just said, you know what? We got to go do this. And I, they recorded their debut record. I think literally in a weekend. Wow. You know, uh, you know, no money. And there was, the songs were there. I always think it comes back to songs and you were just like, wow. And then it was somewhat challenging. We had to go find them touring opportunities and you know, they're not going to tour with Scarhead. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you just kind of go out and you fight and you do the best you can. And obviously having a booking agent involved with that, Andrew was, you know, up and coming and, you know, that helped. And, you know, that's when leads to conversations with other bands. Um, and some of the ska guys were starting to go and do more indie rock, emo-y stuff at mm-hmm. that point. And, uh, you know, that's the, 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 we kind of saw the road and that's what we started going down. I think some other ones that I think should be mentioned for people to look, listen to, uh, North Star, Orange right. Island, Trios. It's <laughs> my second Orange Island conversation this week. Really? I loved that record. I lo- I do. I, that song, How Clintonian, is so great. And, uh, what year did that come out? Oh, that's well. The brand new guys turned me on to them, and that's uh, and so post two thousand one. Yeah, yeah, and that was one of Matt Squire's first records. The producer Matt Squire, that yeah. was one of his first records he made as a producer, ah. as a full on producer. So uh, you know that was like in the family, and I I really do like that record. And you know it just never kind of outside their little New England world, it never got yeah. really past there. But it's a good, it's a really really good record. And that's, again, the second time I had this conversation about that band this week. What was the first conversation? With Brand New, we were just talking about the band. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was pretty... Uh, the singer, I ran into the singer recently, Dave, and his beard is just so unbelievably amazing. We were talking about his beard, and then we started talking about the record. <laughs> that's what happens. Exactly. Uh, but you mentioned, you know, get, get, you know, having Heart Rod Circuit then led to Brand New. Obviously, that's gone on to do a lot of different things mm-hmm. for the label. Um, I guess talk about sort of the beginning and sort of the finding it or hearing it for the first time and what you thought. Uh, I actually, it was the demos for their other band, I think, uh, for Hometown Hero. Uh, I got it. You know, it was the days where, the you know, you were getting 15 CDs in the mail, you know, every couple days. Yeah. I put it on. I'm like, this is really good. I'm like, so I got in touch with Brian Lane, who plays drums in Brand New, and I'm like, this is awesome. I'm like, I, I, can I come see you play? And 
He said, well, we just broke up, but I'm in a new band, and we're going to play. <laughs> nice soon. timing, Fred. Yeah, he said, we're going to play soon. I said, please let me know. He sent me the, the four-song demo they ended up doing. I heard it. I'm like, I've got to come see you. And I went and saw them in a bowling alley. And unbeknownst to me, Miracle of 86 was on that show ah, at the same time. KD. Didn't even know Kevin at the time. Um, and uh, just was like, wow. And when was this? 2001, right? It was probably 2000. Oh, 2000. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because, yeah, yeah. yeah 2000. Uh, saw him in a bowling alley in Garden City. And, uh, you know, it took a while, but we got there and uh, we made a deal. Uh, and in, in the interim of us trying to sign them, and them actually signing, Warner Brothers stepped in and offered them a demo deal. And their demo deal was more than I was offering them, way more really? to do the record. So they, they were like, we got to go explore this. I'm like, I get it. You know, I said, I'm not happy, but I get it. We stayed in touch, you know, and I'd see them out. And then it, they kind of was like, nothing kind of came of it. It was like Warner's wasn't pulling the trigger, not pulling the trigger. So I spoke to was them. Was it Craig? Aaronson? No, this is like, I don't even remember who it was, but this is, pr- I don't think Craig was there yet. Oh, you're right. You're right. Um, there yet. So, you know, we talked and I, and we tweaked the deal and I said, they said, if you do this, well, let's go make a record. And I said, great. I said, let's go do it. You know, that's another thing is we're an indie label. We can be flexible. If I'm going to make the decision this is how I want to make the deal. That's just, yeah, it. we make the deal. Um, and then they spent the next six or eight months lugging a hard drive around making that record. And it was like. And then in 2001, in September, um, that record came out, you know, and then it was like, wow, you know, it was like something. I remember being at the record release show and just realizing like this, I have not seen something like this. This record had been out and, you know, this is pre-internet and this, the, like the mania was just like, how does everybody know this right away? There's that word of mouth. And when they did 70 times 7, it was like kind of like you just knew it. And that's the night that the booking agent got involved. And, uh, you know, it was just a battle. It was just like, you know, people pay attention, pay attention. Yeah. And so, again, with that uh, that band, I was in, I was living here at the time and know, knew about them. But, again, it, there's, this, there's this almost like a cosmic connection people have mm-hmm. with that band. Yes. Um, can you describe, you know, where do you think that, or why, or is it the, is it the mysteriousness that they, that they have or that they're, I mean, they are, they, the thing that I like is they're doing what they want. Mm-hmm. I'm putting out this, I'm putting out this song. Why? Because we want to, it's not any, anything else, right? It's that they want, they want to do it. They want to do it their way. Their I mean, way. ultimately. And I mean, you know, listen, the, your favorite weapon was a very traditional tract Deja was somewhat traditional for the band. Um, you know, I started to see things change a bit um, during that time period. And I, I've still, I've always maintained my relationship with the band. Um, you know, and they played the radio game. You know, we started getting a little bit of success on uh, on Jude Law. You know, we shot a video. And we didn't shoot that video until like, I think, eight or nine months into the project. Wow. Um, and it was just grinding, touring press, just grind, grind, grind. Um, and, you know, when we got Deja back, it was like, you just, I heard it. I was like, I, I was not expecting this. Um, and, you know, it, over time, they have changed how they work and how they do things and, you know, to the most non-traditional way of doing things. Um, but the connections there, I mean, I, the leap of songwriting from Your Favorite Weapon to... 
Deja was just staggering. I mean, you know, your favorite weapon is very direct and yeah. even, but still very poetic at times. And you're just like, you can listen to those lyrics and they're, sh- they're sugary, but they're still a little bit more sophisticated. Even just some of the stuff like, you know, you listen to mixtape or, you know, um, failure by design was li- the, if you listen to it, knowing it's the last record they wrote for that, for that record to finish the record, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God. Um, but then you hear the step up in Deja. It's just, you know, it's rare you get to work with a band like that and still work with them this far on to see kind of how they just want to take control of how they operate is great. I loved, yeah. again, their their progression. And essentially, yes, people have their likes and dislikes for whatever record, but they're changing. And I love that a, a band's able to do that and still have the support mm-hmm. because they could do something completely different you know, if Earth Crisis came out with a country record, no one's no one's buying it. Yeah, um, it's a horrible example, but that's like that extreme. Like you're you're doing something completely different, or you're changing it, and there's people there that are still going to connect. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I have nothing but respect for them, and uh, you know, it's been uh, it's been fun helping them out, get their label up and running, and uh, you know, watching this past year for them has been fantastic. You know, seeing a band that you saw in arenas. In a, yeah, you see him in a bowling alley with five <laughs> Glens people. Falls Civic Center. <laughs> to see, you know, Madison Square Garden. Yeah, it's MSG, like, yeah. I, I just was a moment that hit me of like, I can't even imagine what's going on in their heads, but I was like, you know, it's like a parent almost of like just seeing your kid do yeah. this thing. And it was, uh, it was fantastic. And, you know, and again, doing it on their terms, which is hard to do in this business, no mm-hmm. matter what kind of music you do, to really set your terms it's hard, very, very hard when you are not a superstar. And then I too, I think today's scene, which you can call it whatever you want. There's some amazing records being made. And I think there's moments that I feel what's that next, you know, who's going to make that different record Mm -hmm. that's in the same scene. You can see the connections. And I think, um, you know, two records from on, Triple Crown that I think did that recently, uh, the new You Blew It, and also the new Foxing. Yes, I definitely, you know, Foxing record was, uh, it was a journey for them, and it's really, it's the kind of record that when you listen to it, you go, this is really good, but it just, it keeps getting better and better. There's so much subtleties hidden in it, and to see them perform it live, it's like, wow. You know, it's just so Connor's one of those special performers. Um, And I just I think the record is really, you know, everybody wanted to have the medic part two or Rory part two. And it's there in a very subtle way. But it's just this expansive, beautiful record. And uh, I and I I do see that there's still discovery with this. Like I was shocked on the balance and composure tour. The audience was way into it. But I saw a lot of people kind of going like, I've heard the band. But now I get it. Um, and and the, it, keep, it keeps growing, you know? The, the, I think, I forget what the timing was, but it was a South By show. They'd played South By. I remember there had been 10 people there, you know, for two years ago, for two, three, I can't remember. But again, you, they were performing as if it was packed. And that was a quick trigger of like, okay, they're, they're a little bit ahead of the curve of what's, what's happening. Yeah, because I remember when we signed them, we definitely, I was one of the few bands I had not seen perform before I signed them. We had talked on the phone a bunch, and then I saw them at South By at some off, like at some college campus show in a, like a dining hall, and it was mind-blowing, and I was like, oh, 
thank God. Oh, it was yeah. so like great, and you know they didn't care that they were playing in a dining hall or all that. Connor was in the crowd on people's, you know, and it, it just it was great. And now to see them go and come into New York and play in front of you know a thousand people and still have that same energy, it's just uh, it's great. And you blew it. Record is is fantastic. You know that was a weird one, only in a sense of like we tried to sign the band. They ended up going to Jade Tree. Long story short, they ended up, we ended up getting the record from Jade Tree, um, and who couldn't have been more gracious about it. And, uh, you know, it's a great record. I, you know, I think some people are having a little trouble going, but this is not the record I thought they would make. But when you listen to it, it's just this great record that, uh, you know, I think it's it's finding its audience and it's going to continue to find its audience and to see like, you know, the pitchforks of the world kind of embrace it says there's growth there and I think people will discover it. What do you think is next? You know, we haven't used the word emo yet. Um, it is the podcast with it. Um, is that is it a detriment to those bands having that word attached to it? Because I, I think they're moving there. This, these records could have come out in the 90s or the 80s of how they're sort of progressing. Mm-hmm. And it isn't just the same. You're right. Medic 2 or Rory 2. They're mm-hmm. not doing that. And I, I think a fan in their heart, if they're from the scene or at least has loves part being a part of it, wants a progression, wants mm-hmm. them to test what well, they're hope. doing. Yeah, you hope. What do you think is, is it the, is it having a detriment where people are sometimes expecting that same thing every time? Yeah, I think that happens in any scene, you know, whether you're in, you know, you're, people want what they know and, you know, they don't want to be challenged sometimes. Um, You know, emo, uh, the artists tend to not like the word. I just look at these as records, you know, and a good song is a good song, whether it's, uh, you know, it's a singer songwriter, it's a rap song, a pop song, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's what we try to hear those good songs. And, you know, that emo tag you know, to me, I can listen to the national and to me, that's emo. It just stirs something up in you. And, you Mm -hmm. know, to me, that's the common thread with our records. Whether you're listening to Caspian, those are just beautiful soundscapes. And that can stir the same emotion as, you know, into it over it when he's got one of his songs that just And the lyric that hits at the right time. Exactly. And, um, you know, or a Kevin Devine who can have a song as simple as like, you know, ball game or you know uh, even the freddie gray blues on his new record it just it's connects. open and it's um there's a there, you can you can just see that the song's open yeah and it just and that stirs an emotion in you and you know and it's just this passion of like yes and you know you get that little smile on your face and so you know to me they're all kind of i think music stirs emotions so they're all emo you know, in a sense, whether you're singing about a relationship or you're singing about something in your life or, you know, it's an instrumental piece that just really kind of takes you to a place that makes you feel something. So um, but there's also an authenticity to it that I think some people try to lap onto it and say, oh, I'm going to sound like that. And I'm going to throw the breakdown in at one thirty, and mm-hmm. that it, it's somehow that's that gets through the <laughs> two. Exactly. So, you know, I think that, you know, where it goes, I don't know. I've been trying to figure that out for, you know, years. You know, we're just looking for bands who, you know, there's some songs there that are willing to work hard. And, uh, you know, we feel like we can offer them a platform to get the word out. Um, Well, it's interesting you say about working hard. I've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast working at some of the labels. You meet 
some of the bands and wherever the label is, the bands sometimes come in. I don't know if you've experienced this, but they come in and they're like, all right, let's, let's get huge. And I'm like, Hey, didn't you haven't delivered the record. You haven't done a full U S tour. You haven't even touched California. It's like these things mm-hmm. that it's like, well, I'm on this label. I'm going to be huge. <laughs> yeah. We haven't experienced it. Cause I try to be very upfront and honest about that stuff. And it's like, if you think that, you know, you're going to get on the radio and this is going to be just awesome. We're probably not the place for you. And we're not talking to those things, you yeah. know, to those bands. Um, and you know, listen, there have been, it's gotta be a reciprocal relationship, whether you're signing to us, equal Mm -hmm. vision, run for cover, we're in the trenches. We're just about grinding it out and, you know, winning one fan at a time. Um, and again, it helps if you have a record that just connects, you know, like watching the Pine Grove record right now, just grow on run for cover. That's awesome. But then that's going to help a smaller band that they might not have taken a shot on because Pine Grove's doing really well. There's like you need one to kind of lift the label, I think, and then you've got a chance to kind of play with ones you might not have if you were tight with money or. Oh, 100 percent. I always said this, you know, since it takes one band to change the label, you know, for us, it was brand new, you know, Vagrant back in the day when they got the get up kids, you know, it was, uh, you know, run for cover with modern baseball. There's you can always kind of point Mm -hmm. to that band that just changes it. And, uh, you know, gives you some credibility, gives you some financing. Um, and then it's how you, what you do with it from there. That's really it. But it is good to see kind of, you know, listen, even five or six years ago, you were not seeing like Pitchfork or some of the cooler blogs fuck with any of these records. You know, now it's like, you know, the modern baseball is lauded by all these things into it over it. We, you know, on that last record, you just, you know, pitchfork came to us, NPR came to, you know, those things fall into place. And now they're kind of like, we sort of want to, we're in the mix with that stuff. And that wasn't happening before. Oh no. Um, So that's also a testament to, I think, you know, kind of where this whole scene is going and where, you know, where it can ultimately go, you know, and that's where it goes back to good music. You know, that's why I don't, I never hate the tag emo. The bands tend to hate it. Bands hate it. But um, I just think, you know, you're either putting out good music or you're not, you know, and that's really it. And that's, that's an opinion. Yeah, and I think the the word itself, um, there's a lot of people that think one thing or the other, but it is that, it's like there's that honesty to it that I think sometimes mm-hmm. gets lost. And the music itself, that word, I think, to me, connects to audio, to um, emotion but also authenticity i I can tell i'm i can tell if you're just here for the paycheck or Mm -hmm. you're here you know because you want to and yes you can have a little bit of both i'm not saying you need to be poor and be on food stamps and be in a band but you want that a little bit to it because i think it's going to help the music and help the scene Mm -hmm. like you modern baseball takes out rad bands kevin's taking out you know bands that you hope the next time it's like this circular thing where you're helping each other um yeah and and i I love that yeah and i think the honest bands are the ones who are always doing that and just looking and kind of looking around and saying like who's good who can we take out who can we support and even you know that's how bands learn you know when you talk to a band that you just kind of fall in love with and they've done they think they've done a lot of touring and you realize like oh we've done you know a handful of weekend shows 
you change as a band when you really go out and do six weeks. And, you know, the difference in a band, listen, it can break some bands too. When you're out there and your van breaks down and you're in like, you know, Omaha and, you know, there's no money, there's no, you, you have, that's when you decide, do I want to be in a band or do I, yeah. you know, or do I want to go home? Um, and every band experiences that, you know, it's rare that a band just gets this upward trajectory and it's like, everything's great. Mm -hmm. Um, but you also change as players, as songwriters, as everything, when you stay out there and you're on tour and you're open to listening to, you know, the headliners and really kind of watching and learning, you know, and I encourage every band and, you know, we try, we'll, we'll go out and fight for any tour and, you know, we try to get the bands on tour together and, you know. I, I saw the difference even in Foxing when they did the brand new tour. That was the tipping point. That's when it was like, wow, you know, they're just crushing this. And, you know, they the brand new guys couldn't have been kinder to them. And really, you know, I think they learned a lot on that. And, you know, from there, it just it kind of just kept building. And Again, building. it's that, that, that circular thing where I didn't just interviewed Rainer Maria, and I have so many bands that reference them mm-hmm. as learning. Oh, Rainer Maria took us out on our first tour or we played with them on a west coast run and they told like it's like the that education part sure that you're not going to learn from a book <laughs> or sitting in an office exactly exactly and then you know again it's uh if you're playing five nights a week and you're not getting better you got another set of problems yeah um <laughs> So, you know, it's always exciting when you find a new band and you just kind of, and whether we're signing them or not, and you see them early and then they get out on tour. I mean, the Front Bottoms are a great example. I saw them play just, I loved their first record, saw them, they were just terrible. And then like six months later, just touring, 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 I was like, whoa. And then, you know, I'm watching on a live stream of Coachella. Exactly. You know, and just destroying (laughs) and it's like, wow, that's awesome. And that's exciting. Um just exciting to see as a fan and that's again kind of goes back to the our first chat about sort of that waiting and they're they you're putting in the work this is not instant this is not mm-hmm. waiting for a like on instagram this is going to take a minute exactly um and i think for you what is there anything else that you want to again you can say i want to sign great music or whatever but is there any <laughs> like aspiration thing with triple crown that at this point or i'd love to do this is there any like you know, when you No, I I think you know, we've never you know, we've been in business a long time where you know, it, it it's like almost slow and steady. Um, but and it's quality and we've always had a manageable roster. You know, we're never putting out like 20, 30 records a year and see how many you're putting out a year now. I would probably do like five at now. I want to say between six and eight in a year, uh, you know, a couple of vinyl reissues in there, some singles, EPs. Um, but that's manageable for us. Um, and, uh, you know, we just want to kind of keep doing that, you know, and always be nimble and flexible and see what comes. You know, when we hear something that we're excited about, you know, we'll just go, you know, early on, we missed some great opportunities to pull the trigger and things that just we kind of overthought. Now it's like, if it's like it, we're just going to try and go. Which ones did you miss? Uh, So I was hoping to get that. (laughs) I'll tell you off after. (laughs) Damn it. And, uh, (laughs) you know, and it's like, again, we're also not trying to, I I think that the, the double edged sword of Triple Crown is that there is not it's not necessarily an identifiable sound. There is, I think there's a common thread in the records, 
but you know, a, a will away is so other end of the spectrum of what Caspian is. And, uh, you know, Oh brother is really far away from what Kevin divine is, but there probably is a lot of crossover in the totally fans. Is. Um, so I think that, you know, we'll always continue that, you know, if we had a sound, maybe we'd be in a different place, but I'm, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a business that I'm, I own and I'm proud of. And, uh, the bands are remembered. The, yeah, I think that that's definitely something, and I'm proud that, you know, it's a transparent company, and, you know, it's something that, like, one of our best calling cards is the artist will always speak up on our behalf and my behalf personally, and that's helped us win some bidding things where, uh, you know, maybe it's it just swings in our favor, um, and uh, I'm proud of that. That's great. And yeah. then, are there, I was trying to remember this, because when you would mentioned some of the when I was searching and I was like, Oh yeah, Orange Island. Um, <laughs> were there, is there a record that you, sh- that you had hoped that people had remembered, but it's a little bit forgotten. Maybe it's in the internet age. The, is there one you know, that I don't, back? I, I probably forgot too, but I think that the one record that I really thought that we were going to, it was that I'm re- one of my favorites that I thought was going to connect in a bigger way was probably the weather box record. It's such a brilliant record. And I think that that's part of being around for a long time People have some preconceived notions, and uh, Brian is so talented, and that's a record I find myself just listening to a lot. And you know, even when I was sent the demos, they were like, "Just please listen with an open mind," because I, I I was like, "Weatherbox." I'm like, "Really?" I, I, so you, you know, you're if you're around that long and it kind of hasn't happened, people do question mm-hmm. things. Uh, but that I heard those songs and I was like, "Oh my god." And that is a record that I really wish people had discovered more of. Um, and, uh, you know, aside from the ska records, <laughs> if I could just go, just keep waiting for the next ska revival. Oh God, please. No. Oh, I can't wait. Why? I just, uh, cause, cause why not? Don't you the... want to see all that awesome dancing again? No, <laughs> I hate the, I, the, I, not hate, excuse me. I just, the, no problem with it. There's a bunch of bands I love. I still will go see Less Than Jake. Um, totally fine with the toilet paper thing they do. But it's just the, for some reason, it, it just, it never, I never thought, I, I couldn't tell the difference between any of the bands. I can dream. You know, you, you, maybe it'll come back. I remember when they did the Big Apple Stomp like two years ago and did like two sold out Irving Plaza shows in New York. And I Who was did? Like, uh, the, there was two shows and it was like everybody like, you know, like Scavubi, the slackers, every like New York, like tries to Mephiscopheles. And I was like, it's here. It's coming back. Not even <laughs> thinking that like every band was, hadn't played a show probably in eight or 10 years. And I just, there hasn't been any new bands, but you know, you never know. Was that the Everything same comes t- back? Did the, yes, it does. The ska, was that the same time that the swing era was happening? I feel like that was 99 for me. You mean like when the, for the last wave of ska? Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely like right during after the swing. Squirrel, yeah, squirrel nut zippers oh, and all good that Lord. stuff. But yeah, we did more. Don't we, search that band. <laughs> I know you're listening. Don't stop the podcast. Don't. Yeah, but you should look up the stubborn all stars. That's right. fantastic. Oh my god, this has um, turned so bad. <laughs> I can do that. Um, so yeah, you know. So you're so Fred's waiting for the ska revival. We'll yeah. have a whole. I think you should have a separate sub label then. Oh no! I proudly put it under. If you go pick back it up, and look at some of the old uh, Triple Crown releases, the ska ones, they had little checkerboards in the logo. Of course, they that's did. how corny it was. It was great. 
I mean, we only did, we only did, I think, yeah, I did a bunch with Another Planet, but then I did a handful when we started, and I think I saw the, the writing on the wall, and I was like, oh, the ska phase may be over. Maybe people are tired of dancing. Their arms are tired. Their arms are tired. Skanking. Ugh. So bad. Uh, Fred, anything else you want people to know? Um, I, th- no, I think that, uh, you know, or, next or, year we have a good year, you know, yeah. we got some interesting bands coming up, uh, some interesting records. Uh, I'm really excited about the sorority noise record. I think that that is going to cam is another They're due. Yeah. Cam Not due a- meaning, but you, you've been, I've been seeing the little pieces come together, the touring, yeah. the last EP. Yeah, and I think Cam is one of those special artists who really, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve. This record is a special record. I think it's just going to speak to a lot of people. And I think, Scam, you know, Cam is very vocal of, you know, his issues. Um, and I think that's why it's a special record that will help people. They are so good, you know, live that it's just... I love that. I love that when you see people like singing along, like their lives depend on that. And um, I think that people, I think it's going to surprise a lot of people of how great this record is. Um, so I, th- I can't wait till we get into that, which is going to be sooner than later. And, great. Uh, yeah. And then any reissues for some of the hardcore stuff? <laughs> Um, I, no, I don't. We're pretty, no, I think, uh, I think forgot your roots, Fred, dude. I, you know, I didn't, I just, uh, you know, I, I let death threat call me about doing their vinyl, you know, themselves. And I'm like, that's cool. Uh, you know, I would never say no to that. And, uh, I hope I see that. Um, you know, it's, uh, I'm trying to think of what else there was. Oh, there was a scar head. Yeah, Scarhead, right? There was some classic New York hardcore records we were involved in. But no, I don't see that happening. (laughs) As much as that would be fun, no. (laughs) Cool. Thanks, Fred. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm surprised anybody wants to hear what I have to say. People have asked. (laughs) No, I mean, there's an education part of it. There's a, you know, how did you get to here? And there's all these records. And again, it wasn't just flipping around YouTube. No, we've been doing it a long time. So uh, we've had our, uh, it's been an interesting career, life. Don't stop. I'm trying not to. (laughs) Cool. Thanks, Fred. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you want to support, head on over to washedupemo.com and buy some buttons and stickers or our Threadless store, washedupemo.threadless.com with shirts for men, women, and children, plus framed art pillows and shower curtains. Styles like Make Emo Great Again and In Kinsella We Trust, your emo home needs are all there. There's also a Patreon page that you can support each month and thank you to everyone out there that does. It means a lot and it's the reason this podcast is still going. And finally, for the cost of $0, you can leave a nice review on iTunes for the podcast. Finally, reach out anytime on any social network or shoot me a note at admin at washedupemo.com. See you next time. Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. 
I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted Volume 1 so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com.